KIA, motherfucker. What you talking about, Willis? Second hand, Willie made sweat. Yeah. Say no to drugs and say yes to life. Now you're playing with power. Where's the beat? He was a little dog named Snuggles. I'm a party animal. I pity the fool. My choice, man. Yeah, right, man. man. Conscious choice. Boy. Go downtown and have a rap. Gnaw that thing off your face. The Shapa Sir Slung Bank of Dirt. You believe in miracles? Yes! I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Back on In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, episode 115, Brother Mac Daddy McWilliams and I began discussing the life of President Ronald Reagan. We used, as a bit of a guide, the biography by H.W. Brands called Reagan the Life to give a skeletal outline of the events leading the Gipper into the most powerful office in the world. And in that episode, we left off right when Reagan was about to be sworn into office. And now we chat about some of the high and low points of those eight years from 1981 to 1989. Being out of work and all the high, you know, prices for everything. And I remember, for some reason, as a kid, thinking that Carter was the nicer of the two. Mm-hmm. And I told my dad, I said, who are you going to vote for? And he didn't say. I said, you're going to vote for Carter, right? He's a nice guy. And my dad said, if you're flying on an airplane, do you want the pilot to be a nice guy or, or to know how to fly the plane? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, said, I think Carter's a good person, and even now. You know... I used to think that, but he's kind of been a curmudgeon. I think he's very ill-tempered. And in fact, I know some people that have met him and said he was a jerk. Now, having said that, he was a jerk to adults. When it came to kids, he was still pretty cool with. Like, he would, right. he would open up to them. But Well, just within the last few months, they show, I, I guess he does this, you know, with now with everyone's got their phones, mm-hmm. you know, with video. I guess he's always done this, but he flies commercial... And then when he comes on board, he shakes everyone's hand. That's interesting. I had a friend go to a book signing and said he was just a jerk. Really? And she's a Democrat. I mean, she, I was surprised that she would even admit that. But hmm. maybe he's just an old man who has his bad days and good days. I don't know. Right. Well, he's in his 90s. Yeah, he's up there. 92. Back up, back up. Get him out! He was only president a few months when something happened. Yes. I believe it was just two, maybe three months into his presidency that um, he was coming out of the... Gathering of Union Leaders. Yeah, in Washington, D.C. That Reagan was going to speak to. They were not a friendly crowd. Right. Yeah, and John Hinckley was in the crowd, was within a few feet of the president when he went into there. And then as he was coming out, that's when... Hinkley started firing. He never hit Reagan. That was a ricochet. Yeah, he, he missed. But, yeah, one of the bullets bounced off the bulletproof. The, the limousine. 
it went in his side, and I think it ricocheted inside. And then, yeah, it was he got it was really close to his heart. They didn't think he was shot at first. See, one of the Secret Service guys actually tackled Reagan, basically flung him into the limousine and landed on him. You know, they sped off, and within just a few seconds, you know, Reagan was telling this guy he was having trouble breathing, and he thought the Secret Service agent had broken one of his ribs when he landed on right. him. He started coughing up blood also. Right, blood, and went right. immediately to the hospital. What I thought was amazing, and I didn't remember this from all the coverage, is actually he walked into the hospital under his own power, got into the emergency room, yeah, he, and then collapsed. Yeah, he insisted on walking in. You know, always the actor. You know, he's always yeah. have a good entrance, you know. And then this is what I remember as a kid watching. They showed him getting shot over and over and over again. I think that was a first time that I can remember that them showing an event like that just over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, several years later when the the Challenger exploded, I remember watching that coverage on TV and they showed it from every angle Mm -hmm. just over and over and over again. It just, it got too much. You know, and again, he he was so hated by the left and I, I remember that in the, of course, we're from southern Indiana and I remember mom reading the paper, the Evansville Courier, which has always been left, always been a Democrat house organ. And they had said that, like, several classrooms, when they made the announcement that the president had been shot, like, they clapped. Some people were cheering, you know. Really? Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I find, you know, Reagan had a really good sense of humor and stuff. Right. And he was still conscious when he was going into the operating room. He was talking to the doctors, I guess, before he put him under, and he says, well, I hope everyone in here is Republican. And when the doctors responded, well, Mr. President, today we're all Republicans. Did you ever think you might die? No, although I didn't just leave it to chance. I talked to my friend upstairs about that. Well, I didn't know for quite a while until they began to tell me about the young man that had done this and uh, what his problem was, that he was not exactly on a normal basis. And so then I added him to my prayers that prayers Did for myself that, well, if I wanted healing for myself, uh, maybe he should have some healing for himself. The Pope forgave the man who shot him. You forgive John Hinckley? Yes. I would say him getting shot probably helped him get some stuff passed. Yeah, because it became extremely popular after that. Yeah, because a few months after, there was a recovery period. It was a major surgery. He lost a lot of blood. So there was a couple months of recovery. And I think maybe, th- I want to say two, maybe three months after he was shot, he gave a State of the Union address. And he get, got this crazy long standing ovation. I think probably one of the longest ones in history. Right. And, and it should be noted that I think when he was elected, I think think that the Republicans had the Senate, but they didn't have the House. And so to get anything through, he was going to have to work with the, the Democrats, and who was led by Tip O'Neill. And I remember him for some reason as a kid. He was a great big man. He was a big guy. He had a huge head, big old Irish head, and uh, <laughs> he had a big fluffy haircut, too. You know, he was kind of a, he was a politician celebrity in some ways, because I even remember... I saw one recently. He was on a, a, the Amiga Computer commercial. The Amiga Computer. What can it do? Well, what do you want it to do? I need some more help. Mr. O'Neill, upstairs first door on the left. He's passed away, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Chris Matthews from is it MSNBC. Yeah. He had worked for Tip O'Neill, and he famously wrote a book about 
Tip O'Neill and Reagan's f- friendship and relationship. Now, they were frenemies, no doubt. At times, they really fought about oh, yeah. ideologically. And, and Chris Matthews chronicled it all, like some of the horrible things that was said on both people's peoples about each other. But apparently, according to Chris Matthews, they clocked out at 6 o'clock, and they were friends. They would have a beer together. They'd tell Irish jokes or whatever. From what I understand, the things that they fought about the most, Reagan was against big government. Mm-hmm. And he was trying his best while he was in office to make government smaller. Mm-hmm. And the Democrats fought on just tooth and nail. Well, that's their bread and butter. Right. I mean, that's the social programs. The social and... programs, yeah. A lot of their voter blocks that, that, you know, let's just be real, they're waiting for a chunk of money. Some need it. Some questionably need it, I would say. But Obviously, most don't need it. Yeah, and I work with that population of people that are on government assistance, and there's an incredible amount of fraud. And I'm sure it was back then. There was the famous welfare queens and all that, you know, where people were just having kids to get a check. And it's, I know that's kind of somewhat debated a lot, but it was a reality whether people want to admit it or not. But yeah, Tip O'Neill and the Democrats, they were... Big government. They did eventually compromise somewhat, but it ended up creating the deficits and the, the, the national debt, which is one criticism that people have of Reagan. I think that only came about because he spent so much on defense. Yeah. His policy, I think, they came up with is we're going to outspend the Soviet Union on defense. And they knew that the Russian economy wasn't doing well mm-hmm. and that they needed to spend less on defense and mm-hmm. put it more into farming and manufacturing. And I'd say that's probably the main reason the Soviet Union fell is because we outspent them on defense. And again, that's something that people debate, but that's definitely one reason. And you have to think about history, too. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, we were so ill-prepared. But it took us from 1941 to, was it 1943 when D-Day was? Oh, yeah, because we were in war mode. In fact, a lot of Europeans always make that joke, like, back in 43 when America finally decided to get into the war, you know, well, that was just because of disarmament. Well, we could say right back to him, well, we're the reason you're not speaking German right now. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? There's that. Right. Yeah. The point was we weren't prepared, and it right. took us forever, and we almost lost Europe and Britain because of it. To go back to defense, if there had been some reason if we had had to fight the, the Soviets without nuclear weapons, we were ill-prepared in the 80s, in the beginning of the 80s. Uh, yeah. You know, And I think Reagan wisely was trying to ramp it up, and I get that. And also some blame had to be put at the Democrats, too, because they didn't want to cut their funding for their their pet projects. And Republicans, too. They had their little special projects for their districts and all that. Everybody was a party to the deficits and the eventual tripling of the national debt. And they only got reined in in 1994 when the Republicans took over the, the Senate and the House of Representatives with Newt Gingrich and that group. You know, they fought Clinton over this, but they, they did rein in the budget, and they actually had uh, surplus. I think he fought over, too, Reagan did, was he wanted to actually have an amendment to the Constitution mm-hmm. where you had to have a balanced budget. Which would have been great for the Republicans and Democrats that you know, have to face their constituents and say, you know... I wanted to send money for that that bridge to nowhere, but, you know, we had this constitutional amendment. We couldn't get it through. That would have been the best thing that would ever happen to this country. We are for, and have for several years now, been advocating a reduction in the number of nuclear weapons. It is uncivilized on the part of all of us 
to be sitting here with the only deterrent to war, offensive nuclear weapons that in such numbers that both of us could threaten the other with the death and the annihilation of millions and millions of each other's people. What are some highlights of this presidency or low points or whatever you want to talk about? Well, I think his main achievement, and it was talked about in the book considerably, is his relationship with Gorbachev. When Reagan became president, was it Brezhnev? Yeah, Brezhnev was still alive. Right. Yeah, still alive. <laughs> and I think when he was president, didn't like two other people yeah. became the general secretary of and the Trump, Soviet and died? Yeah, and Dropov and then Chemnyenko. Reagan famously said, I can't get anywhere with the Soviets because they keep dying on me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, some of those are suspicious deaths, too. Like, we have to remember that the Communist Party is not unified. I know one of them is highly suspicious that he had been poisoned, but I don't know if that's a yeah. fact. It had been rumored in, even to this day in Russia. Well, these were all older men. In, over in Soviet Union, life wasn't the greatest, even with people with power. You know, there were cigarettes and vodka and yeah. everything else. You know, hard living. I would say that the, the communist leadership lived well. Mm -hmm. I mean, they all had like estates in the Baltics, summer homes and all that. But if you're in that position of power, you got a big target on your back. There's all kinds of daggers out. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it would be the best. Uh... Well, they probably get the rich man diseases too, you know, being overweight. So, yeah, that I would say that would be his greatest achievement was to help start a dialogue that we weren't going to lose over. Because before all the dialogues, we, we gave and they did not. But also the eventual downfall of the, the Soviet Empire. Right. And one thing I wanted to mention is that this is something Brands doesn't get into too much. But he does talk about the speech in Florida that, that Reagan gave to some evangelical group. And that's the first time he called the Soviet Union an evil empire. Right. And he talks about the controversy more, mostly amongst the American left, who some were like, well, that's not nice, or... You're just going to make it matter, or that's just not accurate. Right. Well, they were scared of antagonizing them. I don't see how that was going to get any worse. Like I said, they were invading, they are arming all these uh, revolutions. I don't think anything we could have said would have made it much difference. They were still doing what they wanted to do anyway. But I will bring up this. This is from Anatoly Sharinsky. I guess you would pronounce his name. He was a Jewish dissident, and he was in prison in the Gulag, which is basically the Soviet concentration camps. And the Jews were treated pretty badly in, in the Soviet Union. Uh, it started with Stalin. A lot of Bolsheviks were Jews, but Stalin didn't like them, and it, that prejudice continued. So this guy was in the Gulag. When he finally met Reagan, after he was released from the Gulag, he said, Mr. President, whatever you do, do not tone down your speeches. Continue speaking the truth. When I was in the Gulag, I had lost all hope that I would ever see freedom and that the Soviet Union would ever fall. But while I was there, someone slipped a message to me on a tiny piece of paper. The message read, quote, The American president, Ronald Reagan, has called the Soviet Union an evil empire. And these words gave me hope. Hmm. I've heard that echoed several times. The guy who, I don't know if he's president of Mongolia now, but he was. Elbig George, President Elba George, he remembers when he heard that Reagan had called the Soviet Union an evil empire. At that time, Mongolia was occupied by the Soviet Union. He said, quote, those are not only words, but words of power, words with force, which overran the military might of the Soviet Union. He was the person who was saying the things that we couldn't say. And he actually started a underground democracy group after he heard those 
words that Reagan had said. Let us be aware that while they preach the supremacy of the state, declare its omnipotence over individual man, and predict its eventual domination of all peoples on the earth, they are the focus of evil in the modern world. So in your discussions of the nuclear freeze proposals, I urge you to beware the temptation of pride, the temptation of blithely uh, declaring yourselves above it all, and label both sides equally at fault, to ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding, and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil. I guess one of the criticisms before Reagan became president was he talked about the Soviet Union all the time. A lot of the Democrats saw him as a warmonger or a potential warmonger. I think that's why they wanted him to tone down some of his speeches and stuff because the Democrats were scared of the Soviet Union and didn't want to antagonize them. Yeah, they were also friendly with him, some of the Democrats. One in particular, uh, Ted Kennedy, who is completely different from his brother. Well, some things they were the same. They're mm-hmm. both like women. But, you know, JFK was an anti-communist and was a, a thorn in their side. And some say that they were behind his assassination in the Soviets. But, but Ted Kennedy, on the other hand, was definitely a political animal. And he had sent letters using some go-betweens. And this has all been declassified by the KGB. He had written to Andropov, basically saying that he was troubled by the current state of Soviet-American relations, and he talked about Reagan's belligerence. He was trying to make a deal with Andropov to undercut Reagan. They're trying to find a way to embarrass Reagan or to make him look bad, and it was basically asking him not to work with Reagan so that the Democrats could win in 1984. And this is all in quotes here. You can find it. A guy named Paul Kingor has went through a lot of the Soviet files and has written one book in particular called Dupes. It's about a lot of the... uh, progressives that were duped or were the useful idiots, as Lenin would call them, for the Soviets. Mm. Ask some of the people that Reagan had to deal with. In 1981, our critics charged that letting you keep more of your earnings would trigger an inflationary explosion, send interest rates soaring, and destroy our economy. Well, we cut your tax rates anyway by nearly 25%. And what that helped trigger was falling inflation, falling interest rates, and the strongest economic expansion in 30 years. What's some other achievements of Reagan? He cut taxes. Simplified it, because before it was how many tiers of Ow, income tax? 1,500 pages or some. I don't know if it's really accomplishment, but he signed the, the bill to make MLK a national holiday, his, his birthday, I guess. Granada, when the Cuban-backed Marxists took over, it's a tiny island, but mm-hmm. had taken over that island, he sent troops in and well there's a university there a lot of, a lot of Americans went to there was a medical right. university but again it was, it was early on in his presidency and it was one of those kind of had to do it to show the Soviets he didn't want another Iran deal right where oh, you know true. all the American students Carter had went through he didn't want to go through with the hostages but he also didn't want another Cuba mm-hmm. in which you know another Marxist country in our backyard that was working against us he supported Thatcher with the Falkland War, although hesitantly. Right. Because they were somewhat allies with the Argentine Junta, I guess is that how you say that word. Right, because they were supporting the uh, different rebels. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think they furnished troops, didn't they? They were a dictatorship, but they were anti-communist. 
so they were considered an ally. It's one of those siding with bad guys, but they were a little less bad than the other ones, the Soviet-backed version. Well, I think, too, that Reagan thought that the British needed to give up the Falklands because to kind of get away from their imperialist past. Right. But on that point, I would say, sure, if Argentine government had been democratically elected, but it was a bunch of thugs that had right. taken over the government, that, again, Reagan was friendly with, just because we could control them somewhat. You know, really, Thatcher was in the same boat that he was in. She'd been elected, what, two years before? Yeah. And that was one of her first tests. Not only did she stand up to the unions in Britain, which were actually Soviet-backed, and even Qaddafi, Muammar Qaddafi, mm-hmm. was actually sending money to the unions in Britain and, mm-hmm. and the Soviets. They were caught, and that really, really turned the public against the unions even more. She talks about it in her book about the Downing Street years, but when it was found that the unions in Britain were being supported by you know foreign enemies, terrorists and murderers, then it really... It was right. hard to defend anybody to defend them. But yeah, so I, I agree with Thatcher on the, the Falklands. You know, it's a, a small island that hardly anybody lives on, but the people that live there didn't want to be part of Argentina. I feel like if California doesn't want to be part of America, let them go. All right. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to force anybody to stay in a, something they don't want to be. But back to accomplishments. He got the economy off of life support. It was bad when he took over. It got worse this first year or so. And then finally, all the, the reforms and deregulation kicked in, and, man, it was roaring. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons that he got reelected. David, this is the worst attack there has ever been against the United States in the Middle East. The explosion at five minutes past one this afternoon devastated the embassy here on the edge of the Mediterranean in West Beirut. An Islamic group calling itself Islamic Jihad, which means holy war, claims to have planted the explosive. Some things that came up during the 80s while Reagan was on watch was... Before the even founding of the United States, America had problems with Muslim extremists. When Jefferson was president, he had to send a bit of a navy to protect the merchants. Right. In out the, of Tripoli. Yeah, yeah, in Libya, yeah. Because Muslim pirates are coming in and taking our ships. And people, hostage. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Right. But I think during Reagan's presidency, it was probably, at the time, the biggest terrorist attack by Muslim extremists, the Marines in Lebanon. Yeah, the bombing Beirut was, was like two or three hundred. Two hundred something. The whole situation is kind of complicated because I had a lot of Lebanese friends actually tell me that they were obviously in exile. They weren't living there anymore. Talk about how it was more of a Christian nation than it was Muslim. Really? Yeah. Every Lebanese I've met were Christian wasn't the bomber from Iran, though? Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's all complicated. And Israel had invaded parts of Lebanon to get to the Hezbollah, who were using that as their camp mm-hmm. and causing problems in Israel and other places. So it's a big hornet's nest. Well, I think they saw us, too, as a, an occupying force. Let me read the solemn oath taken by each of these employees in the sworn affidavit when they accepted their jobs. I am not participating in any strike against the government of the United States or any agency thereof, and I will not so participate while an employee of the government of the United States or any agency thereof. It is for this reason that I must tell those who fail to report for duty this morning they are in violation of the law 
And if they do not report for work within 48 hours, they have forfeited their jobs and will be terminated. Well, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about him not backing down off of stuff was during the air traffic controller strike. From what's told in the book that the union that represented the air traffic controllers, they wanted a raise for all the guys. And I think it was, they wanted like $40 million to distribute out to the unions, you know, to their traffic controllers. And I think Reagan had initially agreed to that. And then for whatever reason, the air traffic controllers came back with a different proposal that they wanted like five or $600 million for these air traffic controllers. And they basically wanted to double everyone's salary. So if an air traffic controller is making 50000 they wanted to get him up to $100,000. Well, that's ridiculous. And then Reagan was like, no, right. that is not going to happen. And, you know, they fought about it. And eventually, uh, they threatened to strike. And then Reagan came back and said, well, if you guys decide to strike, whoever decides to strike, you're fired. Right. And he set a, a date. And he didn't back down. You know, and they didn't think he'd do it. Yeah, did. they didn't think he'd do it. Controllers thought that there's no way Reagan would, you know, not back down because they would shut down the country. And they know? did for a couple of days. Yeah. And some people came back to work. Some of the workers who maybe didn't want to do what the union leadership was doing. Yeah, some crossed the picket line. Right. And then they said uh, a lot of the supervisors were that weren't part of the union, you know, their bosses... They took over. Right. When they started taking over, I mean, it did shut down a lot of the country. I think the air traffic control was cut in half. Hmm. What's interesting, too, about that, and this is apparently well documented, that the Soviet Union was watching what Reagan right. would do with this. And to when, see what kind of person he was. Yeah, and when he fired them all, they were like, we got to deal with this guy. Right. Reagan was in the Union for yeah. many years. And these, many years. And it's completely different, the public sector union versus right, an right. actor union. Who cares if they go on strike? Because it doesn't really affect the country. It's not, our safety is not, and the country running is not in jeopardy if, if Hollywood doesn't make some movies for a few months. But when it comes to like police, military, obviously the airplanes, yeah, transportation. We're going to get off subject here, but I wonder how this country even allowed police and firemen to be in a union. It's obviously political. Because there's no way the police can go on strike. Yeah. It'd be utter chaos. Well, and that comes up to this whole thing about the... Uh, TSA agents? Yeah, TSA agents. Are and, they union? Yes. And that was one thing that was fought against after 9-11. They wanted to unionize, and they finally compromised with Bush and everybody and let them be unionized. But I remember a lot of people saying, this is not good, you know, because it, it breeds incompetence. For some reason, and I don't know why unions do this, they always protect the worst workers. And how many times have we heard in the news where the TSA people are, are misbehaving, they're, they're sexually molesting people, mm-hmm. they're stealing... And I flew recently in New York, and security is a joke. Oh, yeah, the reporters are always getting stuff through to see if they can, like yeah. knives. First, let me say I take full responsibility for my own actions and for those of my administration. As angry as I may be about activities undertaken without my knowledge, I am still accountable for those activities. As disappointed as I may be in some who serve me, I am still the one who must answer to the American people for this behavior. And as personally distasteful as I find secret bank accounts and diverted funds, 
The Navy would say, this happened on my watch. The worst blemish on the Reagan presidency would be, I would say, the Iran-Contra affair. I think it started happening, what, a year into his second term? And I think the book really did a good job of going into the specifics of how how it all went down. I obviously heard about it in Mm. Oliver North. I mean, everyone knows about Oliver North. Um, But I didn't know the specifics Mm. of what was going on. I'd say it's still pretty murky to figure out what really happened. Is it really that murky, do you think? Well, because there's still a lot of he said, she said. Yeah. There's not a unified voice about what happened. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I think it was kind of simple what happened, but what was complicated was who was involved. Right, and who Who knew what. Exactly, yeah. Right. So, to back up, this goes back again to communism and them influencing other governments or trying to take out other governments. So, you had Nicaragua where the Sandinistas, which were the Soviet-backed force, took over, and they were awful. It made things worse than the dictatorship that they had overthrown. And so you had a group of rebels, freedom fighters, whatever, called the Contras. You know, And the Contras, I want to say that Jimmy Carter, he is the original supporter of them. Reagan continued that. But there were certain Contras... And it was a minority, but every once in a while they would do something outrageous like maybe torture an enemy mm-hmm. or kill a civilian or something like that. There were some in their numbers that were doing things that America didn't want to stand behind. Right. Particularly the Democrats. And so the Democrats cut the funding for the Contras. It was still funded, but it was very, very, very limited. Right. And made it against the law to help them any more than what they, whatever they had designated. The Sandinistas were the bad guys, and the, again, maybe the Contras were less bad. But what I understand, you know, and I read a lot of like these soldier of fortune, different mercenary military books, that, that actually the Contras, when that stuff happened, the bad stuff, the leadership themselves had already taken care of those guys. I, they may have had them shot or something. Like you internal. Know. Yeah, had internally purged them. But again, when the Soviets are feeding... Unfortunately, the, the enemy of the president, information, and the Soviets were probably using the Democrats to get their will in Nicaragua and the rest of the world. And so when it came to the point where Reagan couldn't help them anymore, legally, Reagan had said, we've got to help them somehow. Do something to help them. That's right. what he said. Now, he didn't say do something illegal to help them. He right. said find a way. Well, there's actually two problems. He wanted to help the Contras... And then he was absolutely obsessed and concerned about hostages that Hezbollah was holding. In Iran. So where the Iran part of this comes in, Iran was in war with Iraq. Mm-hmm. They were fighting each other. The Soviets were on the Iranian side. We were on the Iraqi side. Yeah, Saddam Hussein, he was somewhat of an ally. Because he had not sided with the Soviet Union, I think is what it came down to. So... I guess during his intelligence briefings that Reagan found out that Iran had influence over Hezbollah. So this part's kind of complicated where we had obviously been giving arms, selling arms to Israel. Oliver North and John Poindexter, was, who I think was Secretary of Defense, him and Oliver North, they talked Israel into selling Iran the weapons that we had sold them, and then, you know, of course, their arms are gone, and then we would sell Israel the 
arms to get back with you know what they had sold to Iran. I guess we were kind of the middleman between you know Israel and Iran, and Israel was actually selling those weapons at, with a profit. So Oliver North was taking the profit and putting it into an account that he would use to fund the Contras. And one other thing is Israel had convinced the United States that there was a faction in the Iranian government that was more moderate and was looking to retake over the country because, remember, he had fallen to the extremists in the, during the Carter years. So that, I think, they got duped on. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they were, but obviously it came to nothing because the nut jobs are still in charge. So I think we got two things here Reagan was really concerned about. He was right. concerned about the hostages that Hezbollah was holding. He thought Iran had influence over Hezbollah. Of course, he was concerned about the Contras. Right. Which brings us to the criticism that Reagan had said, we will never negotiate with terrorists. And most U.S. presidents have maintained that, with the exception of maybe Obama, who I don't know if he's ever said, we'll, we'll negotiate with terrorists, but he did. Yeah, several times. Several times. I guess in Reagan's mind, this was a roundabout way. He, he didn't think he was actually negotiating with the terrorists. He thought he was negotiating with another group that had influence over the terrorists. And I get that. I see the distinction. But in my mind, it's still in an offhand way helping them out. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think this goes back to uh, Reagan's management style. He wasn't a micromanager like Carter was. And he basically trusted, put trust in people he shouldn't have. And just said, basically, get it done. Right. And he didn't want to know the details. So I think a lot of this was done behind his back. Behind his back mm-hmm. and in his name. Mm-hmm. Saying, well, you know, with John Poindexter and Oliver North, the president's behind this, but he doesn't want to know the details. Right. It's a little bit like Nixon, because, you know, a lot of the, the so-called plumbers... The, the guys who broke in the Watergate Hotel, and there was other incidences, G. Gordon Liddy and the, that group, that, you know, the, the president didn't know hardly anything of what they were up to, but he had said, you know, get this done, or, or you know, give me some dirt on so-and-so. I think when he found out what they had done, he denied it and covered for them, and that was his mistake. You yeah, not so too. Nixon, for whatever reason, which I think is really stupid, is he wanted everything recorded right. for historical reasons. Mm-hmm. So all of his telephone conversations, right. his meetings in, in the Oval mm-hmm. Office were all recorded. And something came up where supposedly they were starting to talk about Watergate, and there was a gap in the tapes where right. there were several Six, minutes. Yeah, 16 minutes. Or yeah, that. that was deleted. But I think that's one of the criticisms I was Reagan is mm-hmm. if you got people doing stuff in your name... Okay, don't micromanage them, but know what's going on. Right. I mean, to me, that's kind of a big detail, you know. And it was very simple to explain. Right. Okay, Mr. President, we're having Israel sell arms to yeah. Iran. I don't think Reagan would have went along with it. That contradicts the U.S. policy at the time that we've violated in the last eight years, that you do not negotiate with terrorists because... It emboldens the terrorists to start hijacking airlines and stuff like that, demanding money. They're just going to do more of the same. They're just going to do more of the same. They're just actually going to ramp it up. It's right. going to get worse. Yeah, I agree. Did you or did you not shred documents 
that reflected presidential approval of the diversion. I have absolutely no recollection of destroying any document which gave me an indication that the president had seen the document or that the president had specifically approved. I assumed that the three transactions which I supervised or managed or coordinated, whatever word you're comfortable with, and I can accept all three, were approved by the president. I never recall seeing a single document which gave me a clear indication that the president had specifically approved that action. Think about the Contras. I try to put myself in Oliver North's place. If I thought, okay, I really believe like the Contras are the good guys. And I think if I was Oliver North and I was faced with, okay, I can help these people out that will save lives, but I know the consequences if I'm caught. And I will gladly serve my prison time because I did the right thing, even though it was illegal. I just think I would have went at it that way. Well, in the book and stuff too, and I don't think anyone will ever really know how much money was given to the Contras, but I think it was like 30, 40 million. Well, it's not much compared to the trillion dollars that we take in tax revenue. And it wasn't anything compared to what the Sandinistas were getting from the Soviet Union and Cuba. Yeah. I meant to mention that Cuba was also a backer of the Sandinistas. But it all goes back to the two things that Reagan wanted and that all of his advisors knew about. Because it says in the book, Reagan was obsessed with these hostages and he felt so bad for them that basically every day in the national security briefing he would say, well, what's going on with the hostages? Mm. Like, every day. They knew he was really concerned about that, and then he was obviously concerned about giving money to the Contras. Mm. So they came up with a way to appease the, the president behind his back. Interesting, too, it's a bit of a parallel. In Afghanistan, you had the Mujahideen who were fighting the Soviets. And we were providing money to them. We were. Maybe because it was more of a clear-cut case, because the Soviet Union had clearly invaded physically, the Afghanistan, where... Why? Well, what had happened was Afghanistan, they had their own government, and then a communist group had taken over Afghanistan, like an Afghani communist organization, and then they were overthrown, mm -hmm. and then the Soviets came in and to put those people back in power. Okay. But you also have military advantages of Afghanistan. There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons why they would want that area or control mm -hmm. of it, you know. But that was a clear all-out invasion, whereas... Their other dealings were, were done by proxy, just as deadly, but you didn't have Soviet troops, maybe other than Cuban and some Soviets, like training the Sandinistas and other revolutionary groups. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't all out invasion, so that was more clear cut. And the Democrats, you know, they don't look too good when it comes to the Cold War generally. So you'll see every once in a while when you had the one Democrat who was anti communist, like Truman, for example, or Charlie Wilson. If you've ever read the book, it's a great book. Or the film, which is pretty good. Yeah. It, the film has a, some... It's got some inaccuracies in it. But yeah, they make him to be a hero. And he was doing, in a sneaky way, as far as I know, not illegal, but he was finding sneaky ways to, to help the Mujahideen, mm -hmm. the same way that Oliver North was helping the Contras. Right. The United States has not made concessions to those who hold our people captive in Lebanon, and we will not. The United States has not swapped boatloads of plane loads of American weapons for the return of American hostages, and we will not. When all this started coming out, I don't know how the press got wind of this, he actually gave a speech in front of the country 
one of the Oval Office speeches where he says, this is not true. Well, and they said when he was finally told the truth by his people, they'd never seen him turn such a color. He went ash and he looked all of his 73 years or mm-hmm. however old he was. And that to me that makes me think like either he didn't know or he just didn't understand. Well, I think during this time too, what he have like two years left in his presidency? And I even remember this as a kid, you know, seeing his speeches and stuff. I really think that's when the dementia started kicking in. Yeah, because was it related to stress? Yeah. It brings it on. Right, definitely. The most exciting revolution ever known to humankind began with three simple words. We, the people. The revolutionary notion that the people grant government its rights and not the other way around. I guess to conclude is, I think the public opinion is that that he was a good president, and he was known as a great communicator. I think the reason he was a great communicator is because of his early careers. He was in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. He was an actor. You know, that'd be very well polished and stuff, right. and and you know, memorize things. But was he a good president? And from his management style, I didn't think it was that great. Well, he took it to heart. The, the original meaning of the word preside, president, that's where that comes from. And that's, you know, that goes back to Washington not wanting to be king. He thought we should have some kind of figurehead, but they should only preside. Like, the business of the country should be basically the people. The power was supposed to lie within the Congress. You look at his heroes, like Coolidge was also that way. He was very hands-off. He, he was paying attention, but he, he just presided, and he tried not to make things worse and would try to undo some problems. So I would agree that was probably his weakness, I'm trying to think, do I think he was a great president? I, I would say, of the 20th century, I would say he's probably the best president we've had in, in that he did things that, that I agree with. Now, he stood for a lot of things he never accomplished. And as this author who was, again, critical of him, he thought that FDR and Reagan were the two best presidents of the 20th century, but maybe Reagan was even a little better than FDR because he had less time and less leeway because FDR always had the, the Senate and the... House of Representatives. Yeah, that was another thing, too. You know, he, he had to fight with the Democrats so much. FDR had a blank check, except for the Supreme Court, that knocked down a lot of his stuff. But Reagan, he got what he could. I will say that the fact that there's a statue of Reagan in, in Budapest, which would have been behind the Iron Curtain, ridding the rule of communism alone was probably yes, the, I will agree the greatest gift he could have given. given. Absolutely. He wouldn't take full credit for that. There's a lot of people involved. And... We didn't go into Pope John Paul II and how they were allied together, elect Walensa and Poland, the masses themselves, as they would say. But we look at Winston Churchill, who was a flawed man also, very flawed. He was still a colonialist, but he helped rid the world of Hitler. FDR had a lot of problems and tried to be a dictator at some points, you know, by packing the Supreme Court. But again... If his greatest gift was helping get rid of Hitler and the Japanese imperialists, then there's something to be said for that. And another thing, too, I will say about his presidency, he was always, always, always very, very optimistic in all of his speeches, saying how great this country was and stuff like that, which is is good. As opposed to some presidents we've had that That go on the apology tour. Yeah. And that helped the country. I mean, you don't want to... That helps the world, too. It's interesting to see that I've even had this said to me by an African recently that I don't want to get into Trump and all you know, all that he is and isn't. But 
as one African said, the world is a safer place when America is strong. Right. We can disagree with America's foreign policy all day long, and, and sometimes it's legitimate, I think. But there's no getting around that we're generally anti-bad guy, and the bad guys only flourish when we're being weak. Right. So uh, even though we, I, I can't stress enough, we have misstepped, you know, trying to save the world or, or trying to, you know, exert influence and all that. But, you know, it's better than doing nothing. Right. Which obviously leads to... At least we try. Yeah. So. We might not get the results we want or the best results. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram using the name Spun Counter Guy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. 